Okay, today's reading is from Matthew 4, and you'll find it on the screen and also in the leaflet, and um, on page, I think it's 785 of the Church Bibles. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. Now, I think I should be on here. That's great. Thank you, Tony. Well, I, I was kind of thinking, um, after, after my first sermon this morning, I, I kind of thought I ought to, to trim, trim a few things down, you know, keep it a bit tighter on the time. But seeing as Cameron gives his hairdresser an hour of, of his time, maybe um, I, I can go a bit longer this morning, you know. No, I won't be that long. Now... What is it with temptation? What is it with the temptation to make jokes at Cameron's expense? <laughs> Regardless of our background or, or faith or perhaps lack of faith, temptation is a, a term we're all familiar with. Oscar Wilde said once, I can res- resist anything but temptation. We pray in the Lord's Prayer, don't we? Lead me not into temptation. Do you ever sometimes add... I can find my way there myself. Or even, who am I kidding? Look, I know a shortcut. I think there's three issues with temptation, three challenges, if you like. I think the first one is that we don't take temptation seriously enough. It's used to sell things like motorbikes, cars, ice cream, makeup. And it's often thought of as as something else outside of ourselves. Um, perhaps a choice of something that we really, really would like. But in fact, it's more, it's more serious than that. It's the invitation of our own desires that lead us to cheat, lie, abuse, steal, hate, lust, envy, neglect, disown, disobey and ultimately to reject God's rightful place of authority over our lives. Temptation concerns our hearts, the centre of who we are, our very identity. So temptation is serious. It's a, it is a real problem. 
The second issue regarding temptation is that we understand its seriousness, but perhaps we don't understand the reasons behind it. For some here today, the seriousness of temptation may be something you understand and struggle with every day. You might be asking, why am I tempted? Isn't life hard enough as it is? Why are we afflicted by these deep-seated desires to act contrary to God's will? Why, why do we feel, we feel trapped by these challenges to our faith? The third issue with temptation is that too often we give in to it. The only way to get rid of temptation, said Oscar Wilde, is to yield to it. And it's gone. The temptations of Jesus that Diana read for us are probably familiar to, to most people here, I'm sure. It's in three of the four Gospels, the, the accounts of Jesus' life. And in some ways, they're quite strange, these temptations. They're very specific to Jesus. I mean, who here has struggled this week with their temptation to turn stones into bread? Anyone here had that problem, that struggle? Um, but these temptations also have um, applicable points for us. They're, they're general enough to apply to us. So what can we learn from these temptations? Well, keep the, the Bibles, your Bibles open or the passage in front of you. Um, I'm going to try and show us where we're going through the outline that you have if you're a note taker. We'll begin, begin by looking at the, the three temptations that we read about. But first, let's just think a moment about the context. Matthew's gospel that we've been going through since before Christmas, we've been, it's already told us that Jesus is a descendant of both Abraham and David. Matthew's declared that Jesus is the Messiah, the long-awaited, anointed king. Last week at the baptism of Jesus, we read how, Jesus, how God declared Jesus to be his beloved son, with whom he is pleased. So what comes next? Is it teaching, healing, miracles, crowds? No. After the water of baptism comes the dust of the wilderness. After the voice of God comes the voice of Satan. And I think this is a significant point as we start. Look at verse 1. Despite Jesus' status and position as Messiah and Son of God... Despite the fact that the, the baptism was only 40 days ago, that wonderful moment of reassurance, we see that Jesus is not immune to the trials of a time in the wilderness. And in fact, it's not just that he's immune, but he has been specifically led by the Spirit out into the wilderness for the purpose of being tempted. Now, Mark's gospel puts even stronger, saying as the Spirit um, immediately sent him, or in the ESV, drove him out into the, into the wilderness. That the verb for drove is actually, it's really forceful. It's used for, for throwing and hurling things. Jesus has been forced out into the desert. Jesus, like us, is not meant to live in a state of moment-top bliss, 
moment top moment, mountain top moment bliss. You know, that wonderful feeling sometimes we get. There's no room for comfortable pride for Jesus or us. His life involves trials and temptations. And in fact, the word translated tempted in in our NIV Bibles can also mean tested. They're two sides of the same coin. Now, it's important to note that it's not God who tempts the devil, who tempts Jesus, it's the devil. James 1 tells us, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. However, it's clear from this passage that Jesus' temptation is permitted by the Spirit for God's sovereign purposes of testing Jesus. While the devil tempts Jesus to discredit him, God is testing Jesus to actually accredit him as his son and Messiah. While Satan wants to undermine Jesus, God's purposes are to confirm him. How does this happen? Well, let's look at each of the temptations. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now, I think verse 2 there must be one of the, the biggest understatements in the Bible. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I can't get through the day without being hungry. So Satan telling Jesus to turn stones into bread is pretty understandable, really. Come on, Jesus, you're hungry. Just turn a couple of these stones into bread. Oh, no, I'm not talking about three-course meal or even a nice focaccia. Just a bit of flatbread to take the edge off your hunger. And it kind of seems reasonable, doesn't it? There's no one else around. It wouldn't do any harm. You're just thinking of your own needs, Jesus. Well, what is wrong with Jesus turning stones into bread? After all, Jesus has the power. He can turn water into wine. He can raise up followers from rocks. He can speak the whole world into creation. What's wrong with a loaf of bread? Well, to answer this question, we need to just rewind and think how Satan has put the question and then how Jesus answers. He begins his question if you are the son of God. Now, Satan isn't actually questioning Jesus' credentials here. It's not a kind of, okay, prove it then, kind of question. That the grammar, the structure of the question is actually written in such a way to say, if this is the case, then this also should be true. In a modern style, it might be, so I've, I've heard you're the son of God, It should be no problem for you to turn these rocks into bread then. And this is the deceptive way of temptation. It takes something that in itself is neutral or even good in the correct circumstances. But then it encourages us to have it at the wrong time or to misuse it or use it in the wrong way. The greatest temptations, writes Thomas Merton, are not those that solicit our consent 
to obvious sin. But those that offer us great evils, masking as the greatest goods. There's nothing sinful or wicked about bread, is there? And, of course, Jesus' desire to eat something is, is natural. He's hungry. Temptation is tr- attractive. If it wasn't, we wouldn't do it. So why doesn't he turn stones into bread? Jesus answered, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy 8.3, a passage where Moses is reminding the Israelites of their need to trust in God's provision, like they had to trust God for the provision of manna in their desert wanderings. Jesus' answer tells Satan that rather than, rather than abusing his powers and status for his own personal benefit, he will trust his heavenly Father's provision. For Jesus, the obedient relationship with his Father is more important than physical comfort and nutrition. He will live in loving submission to whatever his Father leads him to whether that's further hunger or other hardship. Jesus resists this first temptation, proving his willingness to lovingly submit to wherever his father leads. What about us? Do we rely on God when faced with the choices of how to use our material resources? I hope there's no one here who It needs to turn stones into bread or to collect manna. But in planning our budget, do we prayerfully consider what are wants and what are needs? If we have the the means to provide ourselves with material or aesthetic comforts, is that criteria for choosing? In our lives, do we live on bread alone? Or do we rather hunger and thirst for every word that comes from the mouth of God? Let's keep moving on to the second temptation. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Okay, Jesus, says the devil, you live by every word that comes from the mouth of God, do you? Well, as you're the son of God, you'll know that if you throw yourself down, God will send his angels to save you. That's what it says in God's word. Psalm 91, if you're wondering, Jesus. So what exactly you hear is the temptation for Jesus. On the the face of it, it's temptation to do something spectacular that will show everyone in the temple and in Jerusalem who Jesus really is. I know you're the son of God, Satan is saying. This is the way to show everyone else. Just think of the crowds. Do this trick and they'll be eating out of your hands. You'll be a superstar. Everyone will follow you. Just think how far you can go. To some extent, this is a temptation for for popularity and for pride. But what about us? What good gifts do we have as a a church and as individuals that 
may lead us to pride. Here at Trinity Hills, as Cameron's already said, we, we endeavour to teach the Bible well. We have a great active youth programme. We have some great musicians to, to lead us in our worship. Personally, perhaps it's our family background and, and where we come from. I know here in South Australia, we, we take pride in the fact that we, we're not convicts like all those, those eastern states. But perhaps it's our involvement in ministry that we feel we're doing a really good thing with, with this or that. And we are so blessed and, and I thank God for it. I think the Apostle Paul, though, understood the danger that these blessings can also become a temptation for us. In Philippians 3, he talks about confidence in the flesh and reminds his readers of his own qualifications. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Humanly speaking, Paul was on the top of his game. But whatever were gains to me, he has come to realise, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. But there is more to this temptation for Jesus than appealing to his pride and popularity. Satan here is actually tempting Jesus to test God. Do do you really live by every word that comes from the mouth of God, Jesus? Do you really believe he would save you if you jumped? This world is a dangerous place, Jesus. Who knows what you are going to face? Why don't you just check that God loves you? Before things get really difficult, surely you need to see evidence of his love. But once again, Jesus can see through Satan's deception. It is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus is again quoting Deuteronomy, this time chapter 6, verse 16. At this point, Moses is referring to an incident that happened at a place called Massa or, or Meribah. And that originally happened, or was originally described in Exodus 17. And at that point, in these places, the Israelites tested God by saying, is the Lord among us or not? In his reply, Jesus is in effect telling Satan, I don't need to test God's love. I know he's with me and I do not need to put myself in danger to confirm that. Nor do I need to do something spectacular to achieve his ends. God has confirmed his love of his son at his baptism. He doesn't need, Jesus doesn't need further proof. And this is the evidence, this is the essence of faith. Taking God at his word then being obedient to it without needing further confirmation. What about us? Do we trust God's love even when we do not seem to experience it in our lives? Are we ever tempted to test him or negotiate or put conditions on our response to his love? 
If you really love me, God, then you do this. Come on, God, if you do this for me, then I'll do something else. So Jesus resists again. So Satan tries a more direct approach. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Now, the first two temptations can perhaps seem understandable how Satan might have tricked Jesus. But surely Jesus wouldn't worship Satan. But here, in this final temptation, is the essence of Jesus's and our temptations. Now, each one of the previous temptations has underlying it the suggestion of usurping, getting rid of God's rightful place, God the Father's rightful place in Jesus' life. In the first temptation, it's the temptation to choose to meet his own needs rather than relying on the Father. Second, it tests that relationship with the Father by encouraging him to do his own thing through a spectacular, miraculous event. In this third temptation, Satan is going all out to get Jesus to reject his Father's rightful place as God. But really, what, what, could, get, what, could, get Je- what could get Jesus to reject his heavenly Father? Okay, Jesus, Satan says, you're good. I can see you're not going to rest until you've completed your mission to reclaim the world for your heavenly Father. Tell you what, you can have it. I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. I'll hand them over without a fight. All you need to do is just bow down and worship me. Nothing much. What's so bad about that? Anyway, you're God's son. He'll still love you. And you know what they say, Jesus. The end justifies the means, surely. Where do we face this kind of temptation to compromise our obedience in the face of temptation? Is there anywhere where we're compromising our beliefs to take the easy way out? To fit in with the right crowd? Are we taking shortcuts, negotiating with our faith, making excuses? Are there parts of our lives where someone or something else is taking God's rightful place for worship and service? This is hard. It's hard for Jesus and it's hard for us. You see, once again, behind that temptation is something that seems good, doesn't it? All the kingdoms of the world and their splendor in Jesus' hands without, and this is the real crunch for Jesus, without having to go to the cross. Mercifully, mercifully for us, once again, Jesus resists the temptation. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Now, at this point, you may be wondering, well, so what? Okay, Jesus was tempted in similar ways to us, but he was God's son. 
you may have heard a sermon looking at practical applications that we can learn from Jesus' response to how to resist temptation. And we will look at a number of things in a moment. But I think that is not the important part of this passage. That's not the main message. To be sure, the temptation to be selfish, to opt for the sensational, or to compromise can come the way of all of us, all Christians. But I think these temptations are recorded for us so we may actually witness the testing of God's Son. So what does that what does it tell us about Jesus' sonship and his role as Messiah? Well, firstly it tells us that Jesus is the new Adam. These temptations recall those that Adam and Eve faced in the garden. They failed their test and every human since has followed suit until Jesus came. You see, in Genesis, the serpent seduced Eve with fruit that it looked desirable. The fruit of the forbidden tree was pleasing to the eye, wasn't it? And so Eve and Adam took it. And it shows, you know, we know that temptation to have attractive material things. But even more so, by ignoring the voice of God and contemplating the voice of Satan, they are beginning to reject God's rightful place in their lives. Fortunately for us, Jesus did not use his privilege and powers to take the path of Satan's suggestion. He remained obedient to God's word. Secondly, this account shows us that Jesus is Jesus' role as Messiah was that he was somehow a new Israel. Jesus' temptations after 40 days in the wilderness revisit Israel's temptations during their 40 years desert wanderings. The fact that Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy uh, passages that refer to that time highlights this. And each of his temptations refer to tests that the Israelites failed in the desert. The demand for food, questions and complaints about God's faithfulness, and the worship of other gods. Once again, where Israel, where God's people failed their tests, Jesus proved faithful. Finally, in his temptations, we see Jesus as the servant and the king. Last week, as Cameron spoke to us about Jesus' baptism, we saw that these two figures are referred to, that Jesus is referred to as a servant and a king. Where Adam and Eve, Israel and we fail, Jesus remained true as the suffering servant, proving himself willing and able to be obedient to God's call to go to the cross. What there... Once and for all, he finally dealt with all our failures to resist the temptations of Satan. You see, each of Jesus' temptations, each temptation that he faced offered a bloodless path to glory. If he turned stones to bread, he would ease his hunger. If he jumped from the temple, he would dazzle the nation with spectacular signs. And if he received the nations by, by bowing the knee to Satan... He would receive the glory 
without going to the cross. That's the particular thrust of that third temptation, to gain dominion back from the devil, but to do so by striking a bargain with him, rather than striking him through the heart with the wood of the cross. Jesus' resistance to the devil's temptations here in Matthew are only temporary. Ultimately, he's there at the cross and then at his resurrection that Jesus is revealed as the true king who has finally, once and for all, defeated Satan. According to the writer of Hebrews, Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we are. And because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Well, what can we take from this ourselves? What can we take from Jesus' temptations? There's going to be four applications. The first one is to recognise the the danger. Recognise that temptation, while not a sin, if we are tempted, that is not a sin. But it is a danger. As I suggested earlier, it can seem that temptation is something separate from us. However, I hope we're beginning to see, and another scripture bears this out, temptation, the source of our temptations, is actually our human hearts. I would imagine that Jesus naturally wanted to ease his hunger. That was a natural desire. He might have wanted reassurance of his father's love. Nothing wrong with that. I'm sure he desired to win the nations. We, we see him later in the Gospels, weeping over Jerusalem and all the lost. And if at all possible, he wanted to do that without the pain and isolation of the cross. If there's any other way, Father, but not my will, yours, he prays. But then along comes the devil, the accuser, the deceiver, the enemy, and he adds stimulus in the form of some sort of question or half-truth or lie. You can turn stones into bread, can't you, Jesus? God would send his angels, wouldn't, wouldn't he? It can all be yours, Jesus. Yet God alone is the fountain of all good things. He intends for all our desires, all Jesus' desires, to be met in and through him exclusively. God is the only source of true and permanent fulfilment for every one of our deep longings, including those faced by Jesus. Satan takes advantage of these desires and deceives us into believing that these would be better fulfilled by placing our faith, our trust, reliance or dependency in something that is not God. And if we embrace this deception... We've put God's lordship aside and, put our own des- and our own desires conceive and give birth to sin. Jesus's and our battles with temptation ultimately are about idolatry. It's not just about murderous anger, inappropriate thoughts, creative accounting on our tax returns or a hundred other temptations, but a battle for our faith, specifically our faith in God as the all-surpassing treasure of our lives. 
So temptation is serious. So we need to put on armour. We need to be ready for the battle. It's important to remember that temptation doesn't just happen out in the wilderness. King David was tempted when he was at home in comfortable, in comfort in his palace. And it's telling that he had not gone to war with his armies. He'd literally let down his armour. Put on the full armour of God, Paul writes in Ephesians, so we can take our stand against the devil's schemes. And I'm sure many of you will be familiar with that passage. The, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And we need to fight temptation. It doesn't just happen. Many of you will know I'm currently doing some distance learning. And in a recent lecture, I was actually really challenged by the question, have you ever resisted temptation so hard that it hurts? I, I don't think I have. Have we consciously said no to something we'd really like to do? Have we resisted taking a stance that we want to take, made a moral choice when we want to go one way, but God's word says go another way. We can see Jesus' use of the armour of God, in particular the use of the sword of the spirit, the word of God. As we saw, he answers the devil's temptations by by quoting scripture, that truth. And knowing God's word is an important part of resisting temptation. If temptation is trying to get us to go contrary to God's will, we better know what God's will is. But it's important to recognise that even Satan knows scripture. We need to be prayerfully and in fellowship with our brothers and sisters Reading, studying and meditating on, God, on all of God's, world, God's word. We need to know its context, a bit about its background and history. Put those pieces together. And finally, I think what we can take from this is that we need to know who we are. Know our identity. Satan is going to tempt us. He may disguise it in different ways, but ultimately he's going to be asking you questions like this. If you really are a Christian, then surely it's okay to have that. Do that, be that. If you're really a Christian, shouldn't you really expect this? A job, a partner, a family, comfort? After all, they're good things, aren't they? If you really are a Christian, surely you must be right and they must be wrong. Is it really true you can trust what God says? Is it really true God is powerful? Is it really true you are a Christian? Is it really true you're saved? Is it really true God loves you? Remember that if Jesus... God's beloved son was tested with questions like that, then we can, certain, we can be certain that we too will be tested. 
In fact, as a follower of Christ, to be, te- to be tempted is a sign that you are being tested by God who loves us and who sent his son to resist these temptations for us. Not only did he resist them for us, but he died for the times when we don't. If we are united to Christ by an authentic faith, we already are everything we need to resist the enemy. But of course, it's easy to forget this in the heat of the battle. So it's vital that we continually recall three things. Firstly, who we are. That in Christ, we're a new creation with a new identity. We need to recall whose we are. That we have died to sin and the law and we belong to Christ. And recall who we are with. That we are alive and raised up with Christ. However many times we fail to resist that temptation. Remember, brothers and sisters, Christ, our servant and king, suffered and died for our failures and has defeated the enemy, Satan. We are tempted, yes, but we are tempted by a defeated enemy. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you that your beloved son suffered temptation here on earth, yet resisted. Thank you that he stayed humbly obedient to your will and went to the cross for the many times we have failed to resist temptation. Lord, thank you that you raised him up triumphant and defeated Satan. Help us, Lord, to remember who we are in Christ and the resources we have through your spirit and through your word. I pray this morning for anyone here who does not yet know of your victory over temptation in their lives. Would you enable us all, Lord, to really know this truth today and in the weeks and months ahead and to live more and more each day in obedience to your word. And we ask this for your glory and in your name. Amen.